0: He is greater. He is our high priest. He is our great high priest. Come before him with boldness and confidence. Come before him on your knees and watch God rock your world. Well, it's great to be here. My name is Steve McGinnis. I'm the missions and family pastor and uh, excited to be continuing in the series through Hebrews here entitled Greater and uh, I was uh, kind of got a chuckle this weekend. Um, I, I'm a college football fan. Full disclosure, I'm an Ohio State Buckeye. It's been a good weekend here so far, but uh, uh, yesterday morning I got up and I, was, I flipped on the uh, the sports news and was watching all the pregame things before the the college football game started, and, and hearing, we are getting into late November towards the playoff time, and things are getting to crunch time, and, and everybody's given their opinions of who the best teams are, who is greater than whom, who's, the, who's going to be there at the end, and boy, you heard a lot of stuff, and uh, one of the teams, Oregon, who had beat Ohio State earlier in the year, they were ranked pretty high, and the number of guys were pretty uh talking them up pretty pretty high for them and then this morning i got up and i had a little alert on my uh, phone there from espn app that's that was totally contradicting Oh, oregon's out ohio state's up this team's in and i, I kind of started laughing and i thought man it didn't even take 24 hours and everything was just flipping you know, as you look at these things, it's so subjective. There's so many of these areas here when it's talking about greater. Well, we've been looking through a series in Hebrews, and we see that Jesus is greater. And that's not subjective. Amen? We've been walking through verse by verse, and we're going to pick up this series here. If you got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 13. And see, Jesus here, he is greater. He's our steadfast anchor. Hebrews 6, 13 is where we're going to pick up. If you're taking notes, point number one, be true to your word like God. Recognize you answer to someone greater. Be true to your word like God. Recognize that you answer to someone greater. Verse 13 starts off, for when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely, if I will bless you and multiply you. So we see here, and it starts off here, for when God made a promise, and kind of connecting to the previous passage here in verse 11, and uh, the previous we looked at last week, and we had this desire, each one to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of the hope to the end. Verse, seven, or verse 12 ends there and says, imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And so kind of connecting with that, of, of following the, being imitators of those who inherit the promise, he's saying for, and we're getting an example here in the example of, uh, of God here. And, and we see here when God made a promise to Abraham, and so Here, the the writer of Hebrews is looking back into the book of Genesis, and he's recounting what all of the audience here those Hebrews would know and and just be uh, know forwards and backwards the promise that God had made Abraham. The the promise, the covenant that, that he had made. It says, but there was no one greater to make this promise, so he made the promise by swearing... He swore by himself, for there was none greater. We see here, the promise was made, and there wasn't anyone greater by which to swear. So God swore by himself. It's an interesting thing when, you, as, we, as we look, and, and this idea of making promises and oaths, and, and so t- sometimes I was thinking back of, you know, you may see where, where, where many people will, will, will just swear by very frivolous things. And the Bible talks about that as well and, and, and the fact that uh, that should not be. But, but you see there where sometimes when, when dealing with and trying to get someone, to, 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 you're trying to convince them of what you're saying. And so, no, 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 I, I swear, I, I swear by my dead mother or my mother's grave, who's, who's not dead, by the way or I swear by my children, or I swear by my, you just fill in the blank of whatever it is. And, and sometimes we, people will swear by something in order to say, look, this is greater than if what I say doesn't come true that I have to answer to them, or other times it's just saying, I, I'm trying to find something that's so serious that you'll, you'll know that I am serious in what I'm saying. And we see that here when God made that promise to Abraham, The author of Hebrews is saying, look, there was no one greater by which he could swear. There's no one greater than Jesus. Everybody say he's greater. greater. I agree with you. So there was none greater by which he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. So now we see here the promise that was made. It actually started in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where where God comes to Abraham, and he was called Abram at the time, he says, look, I want you to pick up. I want you to move you and your family from the land of Ur, and where all of your descendants have been, I want you to go to the promised land. And I'm going to make you a great nation, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you and your family, this nation that would come about. And then we see that promise that was then reiterated in Genesis 22 when he came back again and this time uh, he kind of ups the end and says, look, I'm going to actually swear an oath. And we see here, he says, look, surely I will bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. Through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. We see the promise that that God made to Abraham. And the author here is saying, look, he he made this promise. He swore this oath. But there was none greater than than he. Verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, and an oath is the final confirmation. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, so God made this promise to Abraham, and he was actually in his 70s at the time, and when he made this promise to Abraham and to his wife Sarah, the the catch was, they didn't have any children. And so as he makes makes this promise, hey, you're going to be a great nation from your descendants, They're looking around saying, what descendants? We don't have any descendants. And so he made that promise when he was in his 70s, and it wasn't until he was 100 years old that they saw that promise fulfilled, or at least the first step in the fulfillment of that promise, where we see the birth of his son Isaac, through whom this nation would be formed. And so it says that that Abraham waited patiently. It says he patiently waited Obtain the promise. Can you imagine? This promise has been made to someone in their 70s. that They're going to have children. And they waited year after year after year after year. We, we, we see here that the fact that, that, that Abraham really clinging to that promise, and, and we see there may be moments of doubt or moments trying to figure out how God was going to fulfill this promise because it just didn't really make sense in the life of Abraham. But we see the fact that he waited patiently for 20-plus years for that promise to be fulfilled. It's an amazing thing there. He received that in part when he saw his son being born. And we know that that promise was fully uh, fulfilled much, much later. As this, this family becomes a nation, this nation, they're in the promised land. And then eventually we see the Messiah that comes, that blesses all of the nations through salvation in Jesus Christ. And we see that promise to full fruition, of which Abraham did not in his lifetime see the full fulfillment of his promise, but he could see in part the fulfillment. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is the final confirmation People swear by something greater than themselves and when there's disputes and arguments and agreements that are going to be made to be able to swear by something greater so as to put some seriousness, some accountability on the promise, the oath that's being made. And so we see that that, that they would... Make that promise by someone greater. We see that, that even that, the, the promise and the step above that, even in the actual oath or vow that would be made by someone greater than themselves. But the oath is the final confirmation. You know, as we're, we're talking about that, an oath or a vow. Uh, James here in James five 2, or five twelve says this. He says, "Look, just let your yes be yes and your no be no." God made a promise early on. God did not need to make uh, an oath in that. Really, the oath was not for God. The oath was for Abraham <laughs> to remind him of that. But, being a, a man or a woman of their word is the idea here, and the fact that, that God can be trusted. We can trust in the promises of God. Amen. We just sang the words of those songs, and absolutely we can trust in the promises of God. But we see that God made an oath, made a vow to Abraham. He made a promise, and then later he made an oath. To Abraham, You know, there's a lot of different ways in which we see this idea of oaths or vows that are made. And you think about it. The, you know, when a person gets up as a witness in court and they raise their right hand, sometimes even putting their hand on a Bible, and they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them. God, someone greater than themselves. Someone who... Hopefully, they view as someone they're accountable to. Uh, Maybe others here we see, um, how about our marriage vows? Probably one of the more common ones that we see, where we, we make a vow, we make a commitment before God and all of those present that I will love and honor and cherish and cling to and have and to hold in good times and bad times, sickness and health, whatever those specific vows were that we make before God to love this person who is our spouse. Uh, If you're in the medical field, maybe you've taken a Hippocratic oath. If you're in the military or, or law enforcement and you swear that you will defend the Constitution and the laws of the land or whatever. We see making oaths, making vows and promises. But always the contingency, though, is that we swear by someone greater. And Jesus is the only one greater. And so when God made a a vow, there was none greater than himself. He swore by himself. You know, I was thinking about that and I was reminded, it kind of took me back to when my wife and I were married a little over 31 years ago. And uh, <clears throat> as we were getting ready for the wedding and, and we had asked our um, uh, senior pastor of the church we're, uh, we'd grown up in and, and we were really close with him, uh, Pastor Greening actually did the ceremony. And so he did most of the ceremony. But when it came to the vows, uh, we had asked my my grandfather to actually be the one to give us our vows and to be the official signer there for, for the marriage. And my, my grandpa was, uh, uh, he was an old uh, Baptist preacher of 53 years. And uh, uh, just a godly man, loved the Lord, uh, very um, traditional, very steeped in the King James. And uh, man, that, that guy could... Bring it, he'd, he'd scare any of us there when he was preaching. Let me just tell you that. And this, he loved the Lord, and so uh, he was very, very much into a lot of the traditional things and, and, and prayed in King James and, you know, uh, love him. And, and so as we were getting ready, he says, Look, uh, Steve, we uh, was good there the day before for the uh, rehearsal, and he says, I uh, just want you to know, I, I, I picked out some special vows for you guys to, to say, to recite, and just some, some very uh, just some special vows. So, okay, Grandpa, thanks, that's great. And so we walked through the rehearsal, and, and you know, in the rehearsal, you're kind of walking through making sure everybody knows what they're doing. You hit all the high points. You don't necessarily go through everything. You don't necessarily walk specifically every, all the vows. When we got to that part, he said, look, I'll say a phrase, you just repeat after me, and, and we'll go for the vows, and that was great. So here we are. Tiffany's come down the aisle. We've done the challenge for the bride and groom. It gets time to say our vows, and so we turn, we face each other, and, and he starts with me, and Grandpa starts repeating the vows, and it was very common traditional vows, and do you promise to have and to hold in sickness and in health, richer, for poorer, all of those things, um, till death do us part. And, and then there was one more line in which he says, and in this I, you ready, I plank thee my troth. So he says, I plank thee my troth, and I'll never forget, I'm I'm looking at my bride-to-be, and and she goes, (laughs) and I'm thinking, you know, a million things are going through my mind right now. I say, what? I have no idea what, And, and, and Tiffany's looking at me, and so I said, and I plank thee my troth. I have no idea what I just committed to. You know what I'm saying? I'm assuming it has something to do with loving her forever. That's what I'm, I'm going with that. And so we went through with Tiffany and went through the same vows uh, with her. She got to that point and she's like, all right, I guess we're in on this. I don't know. She said the same thing. And I plank thee my troth. And it isn't until later that we actually looked it up. And it really it's just a pledge of fidelity is what it is in the old English. So whew, I think we're all right on that one. We... We were committed. But I kind of laugh in, in that, but, but we think about taking something that's so serious and, and that of a vow. Let me ask you, how, uh, how is your word? Is, are you a person that your yes is yes and your no is no? The people just can trust that what you say is true or that what you say, you will do. How's your word? Are you a person that follows the example of God in this? That you do what you say, you fulfill, keep your promises. And then as we think about the promises that that God has made, Are you trusting in his promises? Are you having those moments of doubt? Maybe in the heat of the moment, and and as the pressures are pouring in, it sometimes is hard. Am I going to follow through and, and believe and trust in what Jesus has said and what God has said? We can trust in God's promises. We can trust. That he is faithful. We can trust that what he says he will do, that there is none that is greater than him to the point that he can't swear by anyone greater. He swears by himself. Point number two. Point number two. Be encouraged that God will never change his purpose or his word. He's rock solid and trustworthy. Be encouraged that God will never change his purpose or his word. We continue in verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So go back to verse 17. It says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, when God came along with Abraham who was patiently waiting year after year in moments that are starting to waver It says, when he came to those who were heir of the promise, those which would inherit this promise of becoming this great nation and that the world would be blessed through. It says that God made an oath to Abraham. And it's important to know this this, this verse makes it quite clear. God wasn't making this promise for himself. God was making this promise for Abraham's sake. He had already promised it. It was going to happen. But yet he comes back to Abraham and says, look, I want to remind you of this and make that guarantee here for Abraham's sake. And so he said, I just want to leave no doubt in this more convincingly to the heirs, the unchangeable character of his purpose. The unchangeable. The fact that God doesn't change. The character of God. This is actually one of those uh, theological uh, words here called immutable. His immutability. it It means he doesn't change. He's the same then as he is now. That God doesn't change. The immutable, the unchangeable, character, the character of God, who he is, what he does, it's consistent, it's faithful, it's constant. He is who he is. But not only the unchangeable character of his purpose, we see here the, 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 the object of this, of his purpose, that, that God had purpose. Purpose. God had a purpose for Abraham. He made this promise not just on a whim, not just throwing this out there, but he had a purpose for Abraham. He had a purpose for Abraham's family, and ultimately that purpose would be fulfilled with the Messiah Jesus. And so God has a purpose in that. God has plan in that. Verse 18. It says so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. So we see the unchangeable character of his purpose. We see this oath, the two unchangeable things, the first being the promise that we saw in Genesis chapter 12, and secondly, we see the oath that was given in Genesis chapter 22, that those two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to be who he's not. It's the ultimate definition of integrity, of of the fact he is who he is. It's impossible, given that he is truth, it's impossible for God to lie. It says, it's impossible to lie, so we who have fled for the refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast in the hope. We who have fled for refuge, we here, everybody say, that's us. That's us. So we who have fled for refuge, those as the, as, as the difficulties, as the trials, as whatever it is that's going on in our lives, and as we start to seek that, that shelter, that refuge, we who have fled, who are running for that refuge, that hiding place, that, that area of safety, that we who have fled from, for refuge might have strong encouragement might might not just be encouraged, not just be lifted up by these words, but it says that we would have strong encouragement. There's an emphasis in this. Look, you can be encouraged today. God keeps his promises. Amen? The strong encouragement. He says that that we can hold fast to the hope that is set before us. That we can hold fast to this. That we can grab a hold and hang on for dear life. That we can, we can just grab a hold. That we can hold fast that God's going to do what God says he's going to do. No matter how dark it looks in the moment, we know that God is light. That God has a, an answer. God has a, a solution to what's going on. That we can hold fast to what? The hope. The hope. Now, many times in in our vernacular, when when we use throughout the word hope, you know, sometimes it gets the idea that that we're just going to cross our fingers and, oh, I, I just, I hope that happens. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Okay. That's not the hope that's talked about here. This is the hope. It's the guarantee. It's the have strong confidence in. This is what is going to happen. And we can count on that. That's the hope that's talking about here. The hope, the guarantee, because God keeps his promises. So we can hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And so we can turn to Jesus for encouragement. We can turn to Jesus for support. How do we do this? Well, by prayer and by focusing on the promises of who God is and what he has promised to us. So, what are some of those promises? Here's here's a list I came up with of 10 promises that, quite frankly, these are just 10 that mean a lot to me. There's a whole lot more. Here's 10 promises that we see in Scripture that God has made. Number one, promise number one God is always good. Psalm 119, 68. God is always good. Even when the circumstances aren't good, God's good in the circumstances. Even at times because the sovereignty of God, sometimes he directs, sometimes he he stops things, and sometimes he just allows them to happen. But it's still going through the sovereign hand of God. And so sometimes there's, there's pain, there's difficulties, and even in the midst of that, God is good. Number two, God is always with me. Joshua 1.9 and Hebrews 13.5. God is always with me. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the promise of the presence of God. Number three, God has designed me for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, We're his workmanship created into good works. We have purpose and meaning. God had a plan for Abraham. God's got a plan for me. And God has a plan for you. We're designed for a purpose, ultimately to bring him glory and specific things in our life. Number four, God loves me deeply no matter what. Romans 8, 38 and 39. God loves me deeply. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Number five, God's presence brings me joy. Psalm 1611, you want want true joy in your life? It only comes through the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. His presence brings joy. Number six, God will strengthen and help me, Isaiah 4110. God will strengthen and help me when I need help. Doesn't always say we're going to avoid the struggles. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Psalms 23 says. Number seven, God will give me wisdom. James 1 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, that he can ask of God who gives in abundance, he gives it out liberally. We can know the wisdom that comes from God. Number eight, God promises abundant life. John 10.10. He says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. It's not just an existence in that, but it's, it's, you want to know excitement. Being in the will of God, allowing God working in your life, you will have abundant life. Rich and full. Number nine, God gives me power for my life. Second Timothy one seven it says He's not given us a spirit of fear or to be timid, but He's given us a spirit of, of power. And number ten, when we come to saving faith, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we have the guarantee eternal life with Christ in heaven. First John. 5 13 says, and these things were written that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. You can have that guarantee. You don't have to be going through life saying, Man, I just I just hope that I hope I'm good enough. I hope this, I hope that, whatever. But knowing when we are in Christ, when we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1 tells us. We can know for sure that we're going to have eternal life. Promise after promise after promise. These are 10 that I just picked out. There are many, many more that God has made to us. We can trust in the promises of God. Verse 19 says this, And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. A hope that enters into the holy place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to our soul. We have this as a sure, positive, can count on it, and steadfast, continual, faithful anchor. Of our soul, an anchor. What's an anchor used for? An anchor is when you're in a ship, you're in a boat, and you're out on the water, and the, the drifting of the current, and you want to stay in one place. They, you drop anchor, and this big heavy object that, that comes down, and it, and it locks into the the bottom of the uh, of the body of water there, it, and it's tethered to the the the, the boat that you're in. That anchor here, it's saying that, that he is our anchor. He is our steadfast anchor. He's that, that tethered thing that keeps us in place, that keeps us from drifting away. And It's not just an anchor to us physically, but it's an anchor to our soul, to who we are. And we see this, the, the presence of, uh, of God in our life. It's just an amazing thing that we are now tethered to the creator of the universe for eternity, a guaranteed hope. Guarantee is the anchor of our soul and the hope that enters in the inner place behind the curtains. <coughs> So it's this hope that, that as they enter that inner place behind the, the curtains here, the Hebrews would have immediately known exactly what he's talking about here. He's talking about as, they, as the high priest would go into the holy of holies here and the tabernacle and later the, the temple. And we see that this, the outer court that, that they would go into and a lot of people could be into that and then into the next level was the holy place and only certain priests and certain things would go into there. And then there was... Divided by a curtain, this inner sanctum, the holy of holies. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant was in there. And the high priest, we, we've talked about this, Pastor Tim, the last couple of weeks in previous passages here. That high priest would go in once a year after cl- cleansing and, and sanctifying, cleansing and, and, and making himself as clean as he possibly can be, would then venture in behind that curtain into that holy of holies into the presence of God, which He would then offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people for that year. And we see there that that that, that entering in behind the curtain, that reference there. And who's doing that? Well, verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And that instead of a, an earthly a man doing that, the high priest and having to do it over and over again because it, it really didn't fulfill that sacrifice of sin. Jesus was that sacrifice and now he is our high priest. We can access a holy God through Jesus Christ. And, and we, can, we, can, we can have access to him any time we want because there's one mediator between God and man and that's Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. He is the one in the presence of God that we can then go and be through him in the presence of God, even though we're sinners, but because of the payment that he made for our sin. Amen? Amen. A forerunner, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Stick around, and come back next week. Pastor Tim's going to walk through the next set of verses. We're going to go in depth about who this Melchizedek was and, and, and what the, the significance of, of that is. But we see that, that, that Jesus is our high priest. You know, it's interesting. Unlike in a boat, we're not anchored down, we're actually anchored up. Our anchor is in heaven. Anchor's in heaven. Yeah, I was also reminded uh, this weekend is the uh, first uh, deer season here for anybody who's uh, hunters. And so a lot of people here in Illinois, this is first season for deer season uh, with a gun. And so many have been going out. I I was remembering back, it was actually, I believe, 20 years ago, Uh, my uh, wife and I and our family, we were actually living in upstate New York. We'd moved from central Illinois and I was an associate pastor there in a church. And, and uh, one of the things, we loved, we were up in upstate New York for about three years and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And let me tell you, if you, uh, if you like the outdoors, and man, the fall in upstate New York is just absolutely gorgeous. And, and if you're a hunter, uh, man, there is just lots and lots of places to hunt and lots of, uh, of deer that's run around there. And so I, I, we'd been there for a year or so and, and enjoyed that and I had a fellow, a friend of mine from the previous church I was at, actually one of our youth leaders that worked with me, and Kevin we kept in, in touch, and actually one of the high school guys that was in the youth group that, that I was at before we left there, and uh, also a hunter, and occasionally we would hunt, and so we, I had invited them to come to New York, and so they came out, and they were going to actually be with me and hunt for the first few days of hunting season in New York, In New York it's about 21 days there, hunting season is a little different than, than here in Illinois. And, But they were going to, they drove out there and we were all set. They were going to go out hunting with me uh, here for uh, the opening couple of days. And uh, so Kevin and Dan were were there and and so we were getting ready the night before. And uh, man, as we uh, got everything together that morning and we started to walk out, it had rained the night before. The temperature had dropped and everything was just a sheet of ice. And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget, it's actually, as we went back in, this fellow that we owned of this property and it backed into some state ground and there was just acres and acres and acres and it was the most beautiful and, and, and kind of almost terrifying thing here as we saw all of these trees completely covered in ice and it actually would continue to rain, kind of sleet. And it's just more and more ice. And, and you could just hear the weight of the ice and the crackling of the trees. And so we're going out. It's, right, it's, of course, it's early morning, so it's dark. And we're getting to our spots. I had picked out a few spots. And, and so I dropped Kevin off, and he had a, a stand that he was going to be in. And, and I don't even think he actually went even went up in the tree. And then Dan, Dan was a high school kid and, and in good shape. And so we said, Here, here's this climbing stand. Got for you. And so if you find a tree that there's no branches, you know, down low, you get this climbing stand. And so Dan had this climbing stand. Now, for those of you who don't know what a climbing stand is, it's in two parts. You got the bottom part that you stand on and there's straps that you put your feet in. And then it, it wraps around either a core, a cable or a, or a piece of metal that kind of goes and you locks into the tree. And then there's the upper part and it goes around the tree and it's just kind of a bar that goes around you. And so you take the top part, you kind of get it set in and lean back a little bit, and then you bring your legs up and bring the bottom part up, and you kind of just do this kind of shimmying up the tree. Once you get up in that tree, then you take your harness and you attach it to the tree, and you're kind of locked into that tree. Not only that, the the two pieces, there's a a cord, a cable, or a a, um, strap that will attach those two pieces together. And so this is a climbing stand that I had, and it was older. It was a rope that was tied on there. And stuff. So it got him all situated, y'all good, so he's starting to you know, take the stand and take it apart, put it around the tree, and then I went on down the way to my stand. I got up in my stand, and uh, I, I mean, two, three minutes, I'm up in this stand, just getting settled in, you can hear all of the crackling and, and branches, the ice is coming down, and the tree right beside me comes crashing down from the weight of the ice. And I already had the thought, you know, this probably isn't a good idea. And I mean, it's like, okay, we're done. And so there I am. I'm coming down out of the tree. So I go back to check these. I'm thinking, this is not a good plan here. we got to rethink this. So I start walking over to where Dan was at, and I hear, help, help. As they come up on Dan and Kevin and come from the other way, and we kind of ride at the same time when we heard him, and we see Dan about, I don't know, 12, 15 feet up in the air <laughs> some of you are already see what's happening. And he is hanging from that top portion that's underneath his armpits, and the bottom part of the stand is laying on the ground 15 feet below. As he had gone up, it slipped off of his foot. And it came crashing down. And that, that rope that had been tied, well, it wasn't tied that tightly. And it came apart. And so he's just hanging there. And he's facing that tree. And I'll never forget, as I walk up there, and there's Dan. I mean, it's a good thing it was him and not one of us because it had killed us, I'm sure. But, but here he is just hanging. And I could just see his feet just kind of dangling. And, and we kind of chuckled, like, okay, we're here. And then we started scratching our heads. And said, but how are we going to get this up to him? I don't, I'm not sure what we do when we actually figured something got up and actually could lower him down. And then we came back the next day to get a ladder and bring back the top portion. But, but as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about he hadn't gotten to the point where he could tie himself off to the tree. It wasn't harnessed in yet. Lost the bottom part, and he was just hanging from that tree. Let me ask you this. You feel like that sometimes? You're feeling maybe very insecure? Maybe just like you're hanging on for dear life. Feet just dangling down below. Well, the truth is this. We are secure. We have an anchor in Jesus Christ. As much as it may feel like we're out there dangling with nothing to keep us connected, we see our anchor is Jesus Christ. It's the hope, the guarantee that He brings because He keeps His promises, He keeps His word. So what are you going through right now? What is it that you're, that you're going through? Maybe now, maybe you think back to, to the past. What is it that maybe you are clinging to to try to get you through this? Maybe it's you trying to figure it all out on yourself and, and maybe you trying to think of what the next thing is that I can do to fix this problem. And the whole time, we're anchored in To the creator of the universe if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior you have a guarantee it's Jesus what needs to be changed what maybe do you need to let go of to sit down and say I'm going to trust you Jesus I'm going to trust you in no matter what is going on in my life I'm going to trust you in the good times. I'm going to trust you in the bad. I'm going to remember back what you've already done. This week of Thanksgiving is a great time to do that. Every day is a great time to do that. But not only that, I'm also going to hang on to, take hold of the promises that you've made, trusting in your character of who you are. And that we can leave this place encouraged. Strongly encouraged that we have an anchor. Everybody say, we've got an anchor. We've got an anchor. And that's Jesus Christ.